Welcome to the teacher's lounge. Now, I know what you're thinking. I like to avoid the teacher's lounge because there's too much gossip and complaining going on. You know what? I agree with you, but this teacher's lounge is different. In this teacher's lounge, I take the time to interview some of my friends and colleagues from all across the country and even the world to talk about teaching, different topics that matter, and how using comprehensible input strategies can work to make all of their students successful. So I hope you enjoy your trip to the teacher's lounge and that you enjoy today's episode. I know that I say this about every episode, but I'm really excited for you to hear my chat today with AC Quintero on equity. So I mentioned in the podcast that you're going to listen to that when I was student teaching in school to become a teacher, and even in my first couple of years as teaching, I didn't even really know what equity was. And I don't say that to make myself look bad, but I say that to just be honest that it had not been discussed in what an equitable classroom and an equitable curriculum, what equitable assessments and an equitable grade book would look like. And so I hope my conversation today with AC helps you kind of visualize what that can look like in your classroom. We do bounce around to quite a few different topics, but as AC was talking about what she does and what her school has been through and what they've been working on, I found myself really reflecting on my own practices and my own school situation, and I hope that this episode can cause you to reflect and possibly make some changes for the good of equity so that all of your students can experience success. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. All right, everybody, I'm super excited to welcome today's guest on the Teacher's Lounge series, Miss A.C. Quintero. She is a wonderful author. You've probably, hopefully, you better now, read some of her books, La Clase de Confesiones, and a bunch more. And she's going to be having some new e-courses available through Fluency Matters. She has a Teachers Pay Teachers store. She's all over social media. And she's just a great part of this community of teachers and world language educators that are trying to make sure that our students are successful and develop a love for language learning in their lives so they continue to pursue that beyond school. So welcome. AC, I'm so happy you are here, and I hope that you will give us a little bit of background about who you are as a person. I say that, it sounds funny, but I mean outside of just being a teacher, um, maybe some of your passions, your journey learning languages, and your journey as a teacher, and just tell us about yourself. Well, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. Um, I am AC Quintero, and uh, my name is Alicia, just, just in case, because I know people are always like, well, what's your name, you know? Uh, my name is Alicia, but I do go by AC as well. Um, I have been a teacher for about 16 years. Um, I teach Spanish currently. I am teaching at a college prep school in Chicago. Um, and I've been teaching for 16 years. Did I say that already? I feel like yeah, I'm that's okay. <laughs> um, I started out teaching in, in an IB school. I taught there for about 10 years. Um, and that has, I, I really think that um, teaching in an IB school kind of helped me along the way in my journey, not only as a CI teacher, but it made me think uh, very deeply about equity. Um, aside from teaching, some of the things that I like to do, so I love, I am a telenovelera, so I love watching telenovelas. Um, I, right now I'm watching a bunch of series uh, in Spanish, my favorite, well, so yeah, series in Spanish, but 
um, through Atres Player, which is um, a channel from Spain. And the series that I'm most excited about right now is called Ahí Abajo. Um, and it is about the um, Basque culture and um, um, the Andalus culture. So uh, it's about a couple, one, the guys from um, El País Vasco and then the girls from uh, Sevilla. And it's just really interesting seeing like, you know, these different cultural traditions. You know, I think a lot of times, you know, we mistakenly think, you know, if two people are from like the same country, they share the same traditions. But like the, the, the characters and the traditions couldn't be more like diametrically opposed, you know? And I just love it. It's super That's funny. Awesome. Um, I, I love reading. Um, I read more in Spanish than I do in English. So I am trying to beef up my English collection. <laughs> and I, I, although I don't, I haven't played soccer in a while, but I really enjoy playing soccer. Um, I had a back injury a couple years ago. And so that kind of took me out of the game. But mm -hmm. This summer, I am planning to play. As a matter of fact, uh, the group, the, the organization that we play with, they start playing uh, tennis soccer and they're playing social distancing soccer. So it's very interesting. <laughs> I was gonna say like you're a lot, like there's a, a sports thing happening. I'm shocked. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, yeah. I, um, they, don't, they play in a park not too far from, from me and so, um, I see them and they're with their masks and, and, and they're playing. So um, I think I'm going to get back in the game because I've been a chiropractor and I've been doing my yoga. So I feel good. <laughs> That's so exciting. Awesome. Well, as AC mentioned, we are going to be talking about equity today. And as I was thinking through what I wanted to talk about and what, what discussion points might come up, I was thinking about my experience in, in college and even starting as a teacher in the first school that I taught at. And I just... I thought about the idea that equity wasn't something that was really talked about or emphasized in my schooling and in that first school that I worked at. And even at the school I'm at now, um, I find myself kind of thinking about it on my own and bringing it up to my other colleagues as well. And so I always just thought, you know, well, if this is what I'm asking the students to do and you know they don't do it, then this is the grade they deserve. And there was no deeper thought around what I was asking them to do and about their, their situations in being able to successfully complete and meet those expectations. Right. So I'm super excited to hear your perspective today and how you got started on that journey, um, focusing on what equity really looks like. Yeah, well, um, I had a similar experience. Like, I don't think we really like talked about it in school that much. Um, I know there was a lot of talk about like differentiation, um, but I think like coming into like a language program, I never really felt you know, there was just so much emphasis on teaching the language and teaching the culture that I feel that at some point, like the student, the, you know, the, the profile of the student got a bit obscured. And it was like, you know, we we're teaching to these imaginary kids and yeah. like students who were just so excited about learning language. And, you know, we forget that these are, you know, they're, that they come from different environments, they have different experiences. Um, and I just remember, taking a class on reading actually. And in that reading class, that's when I was sort of exposed to the concept of like um, students coming from homes where they didn't have books and they didn't see, you know, reading, um, reading habits modeled. And, you know, I was introduced to the concept of like print poor environment and like the, uh, the Matthew effect, you know? And so I think that kind of, um, you know, learning that in sort of another you know, area or, you know, content area and even thinking about, 
like our students in, you know, Spanish or students that are learning languages, you know, they also come with, you know, these different, um, different experiences. Um, they also come with maybe a lack of experiences that, that are ultimately going to affect the way that they acquire the language. Um, I also, we were talking about um, previously about my experience as a teacher in an IB school. I think like the IB curriculum is, um, I thought in a lot of ways was sort of, was very uh, differentiated and integrative in the sense that normal, um, normal world language curriculum, like at the time, like a normal world language curriculum was, you know, you focus on vocabulary and you focus on grammar and you focus mm -hmm. on culture, right? So if we looked at a teacher's grade book, we'll see those things, right? What I liked about the IB curriculum, and this is kind of like, I guess I'm sort of tracing my own thoughts and experiences with equity. What I like about the IB curriculum is that, you know, it was sort of already this like standard-based, um, st standard-based learning model where like students did like reading and they did writing and they did listening and they did speaking. And I just, you know, I, I remember thinking, you know, this in a way really presents like this equity pie because if I come from a home where like reading was very important and I had access to books in my first language, well, that is inevitably going to impact my ability to acquire my second language, right? Yes. But if I don't, then I'm the averse, you know, it's going to have the averse effect. And being able to assess students, you know, across these different modes, I feel like in and of itself is sort of part of equity, right? Because, you know, you're actually, you're enabling students to, you know, be assessed or um, to sort of be, a, to be assessed based on like their strong suit, you know, or, you know, to show proficiency you know, in a number of different areas. And if it's all just one, and I think that's kind of like what your experience was like and what my experience was, you know, was like when I was a student teacher. Um, so I think, um, you know, it's different from just having students kind of put all the eggs in one basket, you know, um, and just realizing that they are different and that these different ways of assessing them and different ways for them to show their knowledge, I think that is, that's probably the most important thing. Yes. Um, that that also contributes to equity. Yeah, because um, when, we're, when we're talking about kind of just vocabulary and grammar and culture only, you're right, that is a very limited view of their knowledge. And if we're like, oh, here's a vocabulary quiz, but we're not giving them multiple ways to show their learning, that is very limited. And it may not be, you know, equitable or uh, certain students may not thrive in that small that small view that we're asking them to thrive in. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And for me, I have to say that like over the last few years, so we've had an equity initiative at our school. The last two years, that is solely what we've been focusing on. We read the book by uh, Zaretta Hammond about um, the brain and, you know, equity and, and how to, um, and how to make sure that we are, uh, designing a curriculum with the student, you know, at the center. And one of the things that I realized is, and let me just say that before we started this um, at school, when I first started working at my school, I just remember, I mean, this wasn't, I'm not going to say that it was the 
prevailing philosophy of the school or ethos of the school, but I do remember hearing from students and all, and also feeling like, you know, if, if you couldn't, um, if you didn't make the cut, you kind of didn't belong there. I know a lot of students kind of felt like they just didn't belong. And I think that those feelings of not belonging, you know, eventually, you know, they bubbled up and, and got to the administration. And then um, the teachers, you know, staff, you know, administration teachers, we just really, we took a real hard look at that culture that we were imposing on students. And we said like, hey, well, we're gonna do something about it. And so um, we did, I, in the beginning, I believe we, we had like a consultant. Um, we did like a book study with the Zaretta Hammond's book. Um, but then we start making um, palpable changes and shifts in the curriculum. And one of the things that we really started considering, and this, again, this was like, we were analyzing data, um, we started reforming our grading practices. Um, and then with that, the administration, they started doing walkthroughs. So every PD, every PD at our school was focused on some aspect of equity. And it was just, it was holistic. It was comprehensive in the sense that from September to June, we had an objective. We had a standard that we were working on. And that standard was to be implemented in our lessons, in our curriculum. And when they came into our classrooms, they wanted to actually collect proof of this. Now, we weren't necessarily like um, evaluated based on it. These were like informal observations, you know, but um, they really helped, they really helped me. <laughs> I think anyone working at the school, I mean, even if you were like a fake equity teacher, it was like, mm -mm, you, you were not gonna last, you know? Um, so it, it just really made me consider, like, you know, I think in the beginning, um, you know, it was a lot of work and, um, it was a lot of work for the language curriculum. We had already sort of been on a path to, to make sure that we were being equitable to our students, but that was sort of like, um, that was sort of an intra-departmental thing. So now it was like, okay, like we're actually in front of the school, we're in front of the administration. And so... A um, lot of shifts went on there. I can, a, a few things that we did. Um, yes, please. I was going to say, share. <laughs> Let us know. Sure. So one of the things was um, we reformed our grading practices. Um, and just, eat, well, with that, you know, we made sure that whenever we gave any type of assessment, that the assessment was properly scaffold, that we had rubrics. And that prior to that assessment, students had at least two opportunities to, um, to practice or to apply whatever skill that they were going to have to be, you know, proficient or semi-proficient on by the time they got assessed. And, you know, what I like about, so like I call those ladders, is that, you know, I feel like in the old sort of model, you know, you would teach and you would give a test, you know. Yeah. There really wasn't like I like I like to call these I call them uh, my principal liked this term one time I call them dipstick assessments, you know, because you know how when you check the oil, you know, so that's kind of what I did with students. I was just like, okay, well, I knew that they were gonna have like this speaking task, okay. Mm -hmm. So and and if during the speaking task they were gonna use a certain like structure or they were gonna like talk about a book or something, well, prior to that you know, I needed to teach or I needed to, you know, yeah, I needed to teach the vocabulary that they would need for that. And, you know, you can, 
if you want to teach that explicitly or implicitly, you know, however you want to do, however you want to interpret that. But that's normally like what I did. Um, and then we did a lot of um, hands-on, like, like interactive practice with, wherever, with whatever subject or theme we were talking about. And then later they got us assessed. And what I started noticing is, and I'm still, let me just be honest, um, I'm still working on that. I'm, I'm still realizing that there's so much more that I can do. Um, even this morning, I sent like this, sent an email to, you know, my, the, um, the two teachers on my team. And I'm just like, you know what, we, we still have so much that we need to do and we can go deeper. You know, it's like, um, we've done a great job, but I think we can do even, you know, I think we can do better. Yeah. So, um, what I noticed is that my students started like ASIN assessments, you know, and they started feeling, I mean, they felt the assessments were challenging, but doable, but they didn't feel like annihilated. They weren't like, they never left class. Like, oh my gosh, that was so unfair. You know? That's incredible. Um, yeah. I have and a I, question about, if you don't mind. What? Um, so I'm just playing devil's advocate, right? Because I've been kind of learning a lot about this and speaking a lot about this. And I've seen a lot of questions come up where people will ask, well, then aren't you teaching to the test? Aren't you, you know, aren't they, haven't they practiced it and they know exactly what they're supposed to do? How is that actually testing their knowledge? And I guess I'm curious how you would kind of respond to that because that was my own belief. You know, I'm like, well, if I'm going to be modeling this for them or have them do a practice, so how right. is that different than just like giving them the answers? And you guys can't see, I have air quotes that I'm using. Sure. <laughs> That's a great question. So I can give you an example. Um, we do literary book talks in my class. And so um, this is sort of a unit that I design around like FVR, free voluntary reading. Um, and my upper grade students, they have to, uh, they have to select a book that's kind of like, like at their level, it has to be like a level three or four because it's a Spanish four. And one of the final assessments is that they have to talk about their book, okay? So they have questions like, you know, they talk about the characters, the plot, but also they talk about what they would have done, you know, if they were the character in whatever particular situation. And so that's, what, so that's like being able to talk about the book and the characters, that's the skill. And one of the things that they do early on is when we first start reading, let's say that the, let's say the unit is like four weeks, just to give it a time span. So every time we read in class, if that is going to be one of, if that's one of my intermittent assessments, then I'm spending class time having them read and talk with a partner about an aspect of the book, okay? And so that the first, they'll probably talk about characters. Later, they'll talk about, you know, the plot. Um, they'll talk about how they're, you know, similar or dissimilar with the characters. And then later, when we have a book talk, um, I'm going to ask them some of those questions, but based on their responses, I'm actually following up with novel questions that they haven't heard because during this time, they're actually talking with their peers, you know, and they're like working through their own understanding of what they're reading. But once we get together, I'm asking them questions and also their peers um, can also chime in and ask them questions. So it's, it's very, I think the teach to the test thing, I think that is more like content um, specific, like if you're like teaching a particular, you know, concept, but these, this is more having to do with like skills. I love that. that. Thank you for that, that example and that explanation. And I think, I think that's super powerful because those little intermittent dipstick assessments, what did you call yeah. them? <laughs> I yeah. think that 
that those probably give those students that confidence so that when they get to that at that final assessment of that skill at the end they're not so nervous and not so afraid to actually be up there doing that book talk right and you know um also we do a lot of like um debate activities in Ooh. class um and so and that's another thing like you know i would teach them were there okay so there were um okay i have to share this this is sort of i mean it's along the same lines but we did a gospel column in, in in my level four class and you know I we spent a lot of time um, you know reviewing and also and when I say reviewing like you know like we were watching El Internado um, and you know they heard some little you know phrases such as un pajarito me dijo you know those little like you know intro gossip you know uh, phrases and um, so we spent a lot of time with that. We spent some time, you know, talking and like you, you know, using the subjunctive and, and, you know, the interesting thing is, um, we, we spent a lot, you know, like how, how I designed the unit was like at the end, they were going to actually produce a gossip column. So the first couple of weeks we worked on actually telling little morsels of gossip, but they have to make gossip. They, they have to make stuff up. Cause I was like, I don't want a scandal in my class, you know? So they went around class. They had to, you know, come up with something and they went around class just saying like, Oh, un pajarito me contó, you know, or, um, no vas a creer esto, you know, like you, you're not going to believe this. And we went from that to like writing, you know, kind of, um, you know, just with the writing model, like starting with an introduction and, you know, talking about the characters, because that's what they had to do. They had to uh, talk about the characters on El Internado. And by the end, they were able to, you know, produce these gossip columns. But later in the year, when we were doing other uh, speaking engagements, they were using those words. They were using yes. those words, you know, so. That's the best feeling, because it actually stuck. Well, yes, it stuck because we took more time to actually delve into what we were doing. Um, and just to make sure that, you know, before we moved on that each student actually understood that each student felt successful. Um, the other thing I wanna bring up is I do a lot of these projects in class. Mm -hmm. So this gossip column, again, like the old model, a lot of times teachers will give students projects to complete at home. You know, they'll explain mm -hmm. the project and they'll complete at home. Well, when you think about equity, you don't know what everyone's home life is like. And um, one of our administrators, she, um, she's moved on to another job now. Her name is Erica Bauer. And she would say, um, and she's kind of like a rapper too, you know? <laughs> um, she would say, how are you giving, like how can you give homework when you don't know how the home works? Oh, and, wow, that's so and, good though. Yes, it is. And it really stuck with me. And so that's one of the reasons, that's one of the reasons why like, I just feel like, hey, you know what? We, I don't know, like, I can't account for or compensate for, you know, the skills and, or, or lack of skills that my students have. But I can be accountable for the time that I have in class. I can structure that time in class in such a way that all students benefit equally from this, you know? Um, and I can make myself available. And that's exactly what, uh, that's exactly what I did. And that's why I think that these projects um that we did in class just were so successful you know and not only resulted in like you know students writing in this creative way you know using sort of this authentic medium of like watching 
um, this authentically produced show in Spain and actually writing about it and writing about all these different events, but that, you know, at the end of the day, they felt very proud of their products, you know, um, because of the way that the time was administered. Um, the drawback is, and I think this is where teachers have to really um, sort of brace themselves to do the work, it takes a lot of time and it takes a lot of planning. I do not think that you can be an equitable teacher on the fly. You really have to, you have to sit down, you have to really think about your students, you have to think about where you're teaching them, you have to think about pacing, um, you have to, you know, consider, you know, all of these different variables, you know, just to make sure that you have, you know, an environment where all these students, regardless of race and ethnicity and gender, where they are going to, to thrive and, you know, and hopefully give them the tools to do that. I think that's so powerful, like that you can't be an equitable teacher on the fly because I think about like my own, I'm like examining my own perspectives as you talk right now. And I'm thinking about how, you know, kind of like what you're saying, like in the old model and the way that, you know, I used to do things in the past with a lot of grammar and vocabulary and just giving things to kids. I would think, okay, I'm going to give them the vocab list. It's on them to learn it. I'm going to show them how to conjugate this verb. It's on them to practice it. And then I'm going to put this test in front of them and it's on them whether or not they're successful on it. And you can't work that way if you're going to be teaching in an equitable way. You have to be thinking, what do I want them to be able to do? Mm -hmm. And then how am I going to help them get there? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and those are like, uh, (laughs) I can't think of, another word those are stepping stones (laughs) (laughs) they are but it's so important it's so important I love that being intentional about it right right yeah being intentional um and just really thinking through like the you know your the infrastructure of your curriculum um I've had a lot of students um especially so over the past couple years I have had students who work and that's something that like at my school because like a lot of people I teach at a college prep and I think a lot of people just assume that like, oh, all the kids, you know, they have this certain level of, of, of comfort and status and life. And we actually have a pretty uh, diverse group. You know, we have kids from all over the city. You know, um, you have like black kids that are struggling. You have white kids that are struggling. You know, like not everyone, you know, uh, not everyone comes from like um, sort of, you know, these stereotypical backgrounds, you know. And one of the things that I realized is that even just in my own bias, I just thought when I started working there, like, oh, that everyone, like, regardless of where they all came from, that they kind of had this sort of shared, like, background knowledge and shared, like, experiences. Um, And that wasn't so, you know, I had some kids who they never turned in work. And um, what I ended up doing and what I try to do, I think, I guess, if I had to give like a you know a title for a point, I would say you know that an equitable classroom works best when uh, the teacher is very intentional about relationships. That has really been the gateway for me to um, to help my students. And instead of like assuming or just marking them down, giving them Fs, moving on to the next student, just really inquiring, having a conversation with them, you know. Um, and so that has, that has helped me learn a lot of, you know, like I learned one year, like one kid didn't have groceries. And this was a kid who like, he looked like, he looked like one of these skateboarder kids that 
he had nice clothes all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he came to school, he was clean and we're, we're talking one day and he just kept talking about his job and I thought it was weird. And he was just like, Oh, you know, well, you know, I don't have food at home and you know, all these different things. He's like, well, that's why I have to work, you know? And that made me really reflect and think like, why am I on this kid all the time? Like he's working, his family's, you know, falling on hard times. And so I have to be as an educator, very flexible and really work with him. And that's, that's, and that's what I did. That was one of the reasons he's one of the reasons why I sort of flipped the classroom in a way where I'm like, we're going to do everything in class. So if you can come to class, you're meeting me halfway. I'm going to make sure that everything that we do in class, you know, that, I'm, that all the assignments, you know, or tasks that they have to do can be done in class. Um, and I rarely give homework. There, most teachers in my department, they don't give any homework at all um, because they also feel like that's big, you know, equity. And I, I don't give home. I would say I do give homework, but I only give homework probably twice a semester. Okay. You know, and it's usually, it's usually something that they have to finish reading in a class. So that's, I guess that's kind of like another strategy. Like if I give homework, it's connected to something that we're doing. So it's not like after you worked in, after you worked on this project in class and after you read this book here, here's something else you're going to do. No, it's, if you didn't finish, this is what you're going to do. Um, and a lot of kids are okay with that. You know, I haven't had a lot of, I haven't had a lot of kids not turn in homework because of that. So speaking about grades and grading, I'm just curious, do you guys grade like with points and regular grades or are you like a standards-based grading system or how does that look and how is your grade book set up equitably? Is that the word? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's the word equitably, I guess. (laughs) Um, So um, we do, we just have four categories and each category is worth 25%. So um, you know, our assignments are listed as interpretive, just kind of how they're listed actful, like interpretive reading, interpersonal speaking. Um, although with remote learning, we've been doing a lot of presentational speaking. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, writing and reading, that's, that's, that's how it's set up. Um, and normally, uh, in terms of grading, I would say in a semester, kids would have probably four grades per category. So they'll have like two, they'll have like two uh, formative assessments and then they'll have two summative assessments per category. I think that helps people kind of picture. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, Yeah. And they have multiple opportunities to, um, to really master the skill because, you know, that's kind of what we, although they don't think of it like that. They're like, can I redo the test? (laughs) And I'm like, you want to work on your speaking proficiency? Is that what you want to do? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's awesome. Well, since you brought it up in the remote learning, I was wondering if you would share a little bit about what was successful and how you kept your remote learning equitable for your students, because that added a whole nother level to the mix of things that none of us have dealt with before. It did. You know what? I mean, it was, it was very hard in the beginning. Uh, because it was like for us, we couldn't um, we couldn't render a grade that would bring their like average down. So it was like free work, kind of like some kids were like, "I'm not even gonna do this," you know. So it was very difficult in the beginning. But 
there are some strategies that I developed that really helped. Um, I think one of the things that I learned early on is number one, I wanted to, well, let's, let's just recognize that remote learning and teaching in person, we know that these are two, I mean, they are dissimilar in every way, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's no way to really uh, provide a hundred percent quality, rich, deep curriculum, you know, online, you know, via, you know, virtual, virtual teaching. So I just want to recognize that. Um, so a few things that I did, um, with, with the speaking, for example, I can give you, um, we did a short story and it was Miguel Tiene Que Estudiar. It's one of my favorite short stories. It's by SpanishPlans.org. Uh, um, it's so cute. Every time I read it, every time we read it, the kids are like, you know, um, is there a product placement here? Because it talks about Quizlet, you know, so ah. they're like, oh, like, about it. They're like, you're um, in Quizlet, so, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, obviously, you know, the challenge was, you know, how am I going to provide input, you know? How am I going to give them an opportunity to also speak? Because kids are social beings and they want to speak. They just don't want to sit and listen to me. And I recognize that. So what I ended up doing was I took this story that we would normally read in a 90-minute period, right? I, I just broke it down and we did, several, we did several activities throughout the week. So it took us a week to actually like break down the story and do different parts. And you know, and that was in one way, I felt that it was equitable in the sense that I just had to step back and recognize that just like my responsibilities increased at home, my students' responsibilities had increased at home. Like some students, you know, when they would unmute their mic, sometimes you could hear babies yell in the background, you know, it was like really noisy, you know, their parents were, you know, trying to like work and they, you know, so, um, so that's one thing. So with the story, the first thing that we did, like our first day, just to give you an example, was I did kind of like a picture talk. You know, we talked about, you know, we talked about um, the cover and then I did sort of a little bit of PQA, like asking him like, well, you know, cause he's playing a game on the cover. So I'm asking him questions about, well, do you play games? What kind of games do you play? And, you know, and we just had a really good like conversation, you know? Um, and, and then the second day I gave them a Quizlet, gave them a Quizlet um, and, honestly, most of the words were very familiar to them in the story because we, um, we had already done so much reading and just, you know, curriculum already at this point. Um, and our principal, he was very adamant in the beginning about us not introducing anything that was too new for the students. So, um, so yeah, so I gave them like a little quizlet list and then we'll do like little matching activities. Um, I'm big on Socrative. I, I use Socrative. So I don't know if you've heard of Socrative, but I've heard of it, but I haven't checked it out yet. Well, I mean, it's like, it's like a cloud-based assessment um, platform. And I didn't necessarily give them tests on there, but it was a really good way for it to force them to like review some of the vocabulary that we had already gone over. So, um, cause when you give them a Quizlet, they just go through and they just click, 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 you know? So this, this one was a little bit more, um, I can hold them accountable cause I can actually see what they're doing. Um, and then I had students, uh, so that was day two. Th day three, we read the story. So I read some of the story. I had students read the story. I was checking for comprehension. So all we did day three was like read the story and just talk about the story and react. And then day four was like, I told them to reread the story and to answer the questions, okay? 
So they did that. And then day five, we ended up doing a um, conversation circle. So what I did was I assigned, I gave them a questions and I assigned uh, numbers to each question and each student, I don't know if you can follow this, but um, so I had 30 students in class and then I had three groups. So group A, B, and C and each, and each group, the students were numbered one through 10. Okay. So since I had 10 questions, I had group A go. And so they already knew the question. Again, I'm like accounting for, I'm not trying to surprise them online, ask them a question and they get embarrassed. You know, I'm doing all of the front loading beforehand. Um, so they had an opportunity to look at the question, to look at the, um, you know, to look at the text, to check their answer and respond online. So that was like, you know, when I think back to that, I was like, oh my gosh, like that was kind of, I mean, it was a really it was a really good and very like, like dynamic lesson in a way. Cause we did like all these different things, right. We did reading. Um, they did writing cause they had to answer the questions and then speaking. Um, and it didn't feel overwhelming for them. And I think that was the big thing. It's like taking these big ideas, taking these big assignments and breaking them down into manageable chunks so that kids can, you know, access them, but also have an enjoyable experience. Like they don't feel like, oh my gosh, this is so much work. Oh my gosh, this is too much and I can't do it. You know? Yeah. I love that. And That's I love that you gave them ties into like the equity and also the social emotional, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you gave them those opportunities to do the different modes of communication because I was guilty. Okay. I don't think I rocked like online learning, but I also don't think I did terrible. I think I was, I was average in my, yeah. in my skills, but I, I really so focused. Great. Considering <laughs> the circumstances, right? You survived. <laughs> but right. yeah. I, um, you know, I really focused on a lot of listening and reading. And so I definitely think if, you know, I'm crossing my fingers here, if we have to do this next year ever again, that, um, I definitely want to be able to incorporate some of these ideas and um, to give them more opportunities to do listening to, or to do speaking, to do writing, to kind of make it a whole, a whole language experience, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. 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 You know, the other thing too, and this was with my other class. Um, so I, along the same lines, you know, I gave them like um, a variety of a assessments, you know, um, addressing the different modes of communication, but I also gave them choice boards. So like at the end, they had like four assessments and at times I just felt like, I felt like we were like assessing too much. And I was like, Oh, can we just, can we just like take a step back and, you know, just talk to the kids and like, let's just really, let's explore more let's explore more, let's ask more questions, you know, cause sometimes I, just with how things were arranged at my school, you know, it was hard not, I mean, we want to make sure that, you know, the students, you know, still had that same level, um, that same quality of a curriculum, but I felt at the same time that at some points we needed to like recognize the reality of like, okay, like this isn't normal, you know? So anyway, um, so for my upper level uh, students, because I, I teach with other teachers, 
um, I gave them choice boards and they, there were four assessments and I told them they had to choose two and to choose the two for the category that they needed like more points in. So if they really needed to do like a listening, you know, if their listening uh, grade was low and they wanted to, you know, be a little bit more proficient in that and they want, then they can do, you know, one of the activities that, that were geared towards listening. And I think that's another way to, to, um, to really like usher in, you know, this idea of like equity in the class, like giving students like some choice. I don't necessarily believe, I know there probably are listeners who are like, no, the kids need to develop the whole curriculum. I used to work at a school where it was like, the kids and the teachers, they work together and they do the curriculum and the kids were like, uh, that's your job. (laughs) (laughs) But I do believe that, you know, building in choice, um, helps because, you know, they know what they need to do. Um, and you're giving them another opportunity for a success, you know, rather than saying like, okay, everyone is going to do this activity or this task. And some kids are like, well, I'm already proficient in that. Like, I wish I had something else that I can do to help me become proficient in this other area. Yeah, that's a great suggestion. And I'm really appreciative of all the the ideas and suggestions that you've given at, you know, a school level, a department level, a curriculum level, you know, grading practices, assignments, remote learning. I'm so thankful that you were willing to come speak on this today. And I just wanted to give you an opportunity if there's any kind of last, last nuggets of information or anything you want to, you know, stick out in listeners' heads as they, ears, brains, whatever. Um, <laughs> Words are hard, okay? Um, I'm a little mushy today, too, so don't worry. <laughs> and, and just, yeah, we keep it highlight real, R-E-A-L, here over on the uh, right. Blue Fire podcast. Um, just that you want to leave people with as kind of your last, your parting words. Well, you know what? Um, I, I think that it's very important that we acknowledge every kid's potential. Um, and there are some kids that really challenge us and I think that those are the kids that need us to reach out to them the most I was a very challenging kid um, when I was in school um, I was a terror for some of my teachers and I think that's part of the reason why I feel so strongly about equity because I had a lot of potential but I just and, and let me just say I had a great childhood and and all that stuff I just wanted to be you know bad so and I was like and I can you know so I'm gonna do it you know it was I got a kick out of it And so I think, um, you know, just acknowledging every child's potential and, you know, teaching to that, um, I heard this term a long time ago, the barometer kid, you know, it's so easy for us to teach to the kid that's like, you know, way up here, the kid that like reminds us of ourselves, right? The the one who's just like, you know, um, a student does everything perfectly, but really, we really need to teach to that kid who was always like, I got a question, I don't understand this, you know? So that's kind of how I plan. I try to, you know, teach with that kid in mind, you know? Number two, I, I think something that I did not talk about um, a lot is just like confronting bias and just really making sure, you know, that we kind of check our own biases um, and the thoughts and attitudes that we bring to the classroom about, you know, students. And not that we should like beat ourselves up, but I think that you know, just like just checking them and realizing that they're there. We all have them. I have them too about certain students. Um, and, you know, and, and once you like get real with yourself and like understand that you have it, you can do something about it. Um, I don't know if we have time for a little story. Sure. But, 
Um, so this, um, I had a student, this was, this, this was a while ago, and I have apologized to the student like a hundred times, but um, we were planning a trip to Argentina and I had just gotten hired at my school and I was put in charge of um, telling students, of, of, of sending students that letter of, you know, rejection letter that they didn't get accepted on the trip. So I sent this letter to this one student and she responded back and she was like, well, I want to know why, like, why didn't I get accepted? And again, I was like new at this school. And what, what I should have done was I should have just kind of asked the other teachers like, oh, is there a criteria that I could share with her, you know, as to why she didn't get selected. But I was just like, well, you didn't get selected. I'm sorry. You know, but that interaction with her just left a bad taste in my mouth. And I just was like this entitled little brat, you know? So I had her the next year. And when she walked in my class, I had all types of like feelings towards her. I was like, that's that kid that's in that email and she's so entitled and look at her. She ended up being the sweetest kid ever in my class. Like, I feel like I'm gonna cry right now. She was so sweet. And I just felt like so bad. I was like, oh my gosh, like all, and, and, and like, I would say after like the first month, you know, I, I, I realized that I was like misjudging her. Um, and it was based on that one interaction, that one email, you know, and she just ended up being the sweetest kid. And, and I'm telling you when she left, I mean, I was like, I love you so much. You're the best kid ever. I'm so sorry. And I think that's what happens to us when we see certain kids you know, they may do something and we're like, here that kid comes with that attitude, you know, just like this and just like that. And that can also come, that can also be, you know, behind a lot of racial and, you know, like racial bias and prejudice and things like that. And I just think we have to maintain those things in check because the kids notice, you know, the kids notice. And I know this student, she noticed that I interacted with her differently um, and then I had to apologize to her and I had to tell her, I was like, you know what, you don't deserve this. I apologize. It was my fault. So I think that's super powerful to end on. And just to remember that every single one of these students is a person, right. um, and has a whole lot more going on. And it's really easy when we're in the classroom and they're all in a group to like lump them together or to, it takes away a little bit of that human connection. And like you said earlier, prioritizing that connection, that relationship getting to know them. I love that you shared that you were willing to apologize to her because a lot of teachers maybe aren't necessarily comfortable with being vulnerable with their students. And I think that really shows a lot of courage um, and that being vulnerable shows them that we're human too. And yeah. that we're all just people trying to, trying to get through this thing. So yeah. thank you so much for being here, talking to us about equity today. I'm so appreciative. You guys, if you have not checked out any of AC's books or any of her materials or just, you know, follow her on Instagram, you get to see some of her cute cats and some of her, uh, her little stories about Grey's Anatomy and other TV shows, but I'm just so thankful and I appreciate your time so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.